0: Greetings and welcome to Everyday America, where you'll hear the American story one person at a time. I'm Gregory King, your host, and my goal is to inform, entertain, and inspire by sharing the stories of everyday Americans with you. In fact, each of you are potential guests. More on that later. Everyday America is offered free to all that would like to listen in, but if you'd like to support me, go to my Patreon page and check out my goals and rewards. That's patreon.com slash everydayamerica. And special thanks to my music director, Steve Hall, who writes and performs all my music. He's a great studio musician, teaches guitar virtually all across the country, and can be reached at Steve Hall Music at Outlook.com. I've known today's American for over 20 years. Knowing her to be an educator, I was thinking I would ask her about teaching in today's world. But Jana, always one step ahead, had another idea. Here, You will hear her talk about loss, change, the destruction of a family, and the discovery of another. What's remarkable is her attitude, continuously positive. You know how some people bemoan everything that happens to them, as if it's some kind of cosmic conspiracy. They're never happy and are pleased to let everyone know. Jana is the antithesis of that. She lifts others wherever she is. And you'd never know that there was once a darker side to her life. Even in the telling, she avoids the dark and keeps it bright. Jana, thanks for meeting with me today on Everyday America.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be with you.
0: You mentioned your early life. Tell me something that, that is part of your story that maybe no one knows.
1: Well, I have... I am the second of four children... And I know that where you land in a family sometimes makes a real difference. I had a wonderful childhood. I had great parents and just a superb grandma, um, just loving loving people, and we did fun things. My dad worked um, hard. He had a, his own business. He had a drapery company, and he um, sold um, mostly bolt material, and then they had a workroom up above where my grandmother was in charge of the drapery making. And I used to work with him sometimes on Saturdays. It was so fun to go with him and he'd take me out to lunch. If it was a Saturday, they have a business meeting and I was kind of his girl. And it was just a really nice childhood. But then when I was 13, I was in the seventh grade, my father passed away. And that was, that was pretty traumatic to lose your dad. Um, I think I probably had the hardest time of all the kids because the other two younger, I don't know that they kind of related as much, and my older brother wasn't as close to my dad. But the, the funny things that happened after that is he was 48 and my mom was 44, and she had a lump on her breast at that time and hadn't gone in to take care of it yet. So she's 44 with four little children, I think she was financially a little worried, and she had a mastectomy and then a hysterectomy. And um, she was 44 when he died and 59 when she died. And she became an alcoholic in the process of Hmm. going through all the hormone things. And and she may have been drinking too much already, a little too much. I mean, 13-year-old, I didn't know. But my brother and sister on the younger side, they don't remember a real happy childhood. Um, No dad, a great-grandma that was still around a lot, and my mom kind of falling apart. But I was 13, and I remember so much of the good times. And, And so, you know, that family life that just changes because of circumstances and your ages. Um, I think after that, I was always kind of looking for that family again. I left home when I was um, a week after I graduated from high school, left New Mexico to come to California to be a model, to do some acting. And I think my mom was basically really pushing me out of the house because I was the block for – her drinking you know she was more careful when I was around and if I was gone it would be easier Hmm. but so I think I wanted to go for a short time and it ended up I couldn't go back home and I was looking then I think for a family to belong to and I think that's what I was searching for for a long time and luckily I got good family and um I was married before, and I married this man who I liked, but I loved his mother and he, and his sisters, his older sisters, and they were the family that I wanted to belong to.
0: You married him for his mother.
1: I married, <laughs> I married him for his mother, and even though we got divorced, she stayed my mom all these years until she passed away at 89, and she still, I mean, she was my mother-in-law, but when she passed away, she said, "I'll wait for you when you come. I'll be there for you. Mm. I'll be calling you." Sorry, emotional, but she was the, one of the most important people in my lives, and and he certainly wasn't, but she was, and his sisters were dear to me. And it was years later before I really got really connected back to my sister. Because her life kind of went different because of the family structure. I'm in California, and you know, until I think I was 25 before she and I became sisters again. And she is now my best friend, and we love each other. But if I tell her stories about mom or dad, she doesn't remember many of them. One time she said to me just recently, why do you keep bringing up all this stuff about our past? And I went, well, you're the only one left to talk to about those people. You know, there's mm. there's no one else to talk to about them. So her place in the family and my place in the family were such different experiences. And there's only three years difference between us. But she doesn't remember the good times.
0: She would have been 10. So what was that? what was that yeah. like in your 13-year-old world when your entire family dynamic changed. What were the next three years like? Obviously you didn't leave home then, you had to stay there and.
1: I don't think the next three years were too bad because I mean, I'm missing my dad terribly and I felt betrayed by him. Why did you leave me? But mom was still, I mean, she was struggling with some illnesses, but she wasn't off becoming really different because of the alcohol, that alcoholism hadn't set in yet. But by the time I graduated from high school, it was starting, and life was getting really traumatic. But I think my junior high, my beginning of my high school was still pretty good. But I looked at people that, girls who were somewhere with their father, and I was so jealous. I, might, I would just tear me up sometimes, unless I couldn't go to girls' houses, my friends' houses, if their dads were home, because it made me feel so alone wow. without him.
0: So how did you, well, I know you you left home and you filled that void by finding another family, but how did you cope with that as a teenager? Or were you just sad?
1: I think that there were times I was just plain sad, but I'm pretty optimistic person. And uh, I was reasonably popular in high school and I was reasonably pretty and well-liked. And, you know, I dated a lot and had a lot of friends. Um, So I... I don't know that those were my hard years. I think my really hard years was when I got to be 18 and when I came to California and was alone.
0: And that's when it really hit you.
1: Oh, it hit me really, really hard. And they say kids today with COVID, you know, they have, um, what's the word they use, where they think about suicide, ideation, and I never really thought about suicide, but I know once in a while I thought, what would it be like if I wasn't here? Who would miss me?
0: Wow. And and what were you missing? Were you missing the old family from when you were, say, 12 and your father? Yes. Is, is that what was the, the lack?
1: Yes, it was re- It was the lack. Who, who do I go to to say I have a joy or a sorrow or this guy I'm dating is, great or you know or horrible or mm-hmm. you know should I take this job I mean there was no one there was no older generation for me to confide in or get um, direction from or help or support from there was no one I was really on my own
0: and in spite of your popularity and your obviously your positive outlook that still weighed on you
1: It it weighed on me a lot. And when I met my um, first husband and then met his family, that kind of went away. Um, I I really didn't really like him all that much. I mean, I was having a (laughs) good time with him. But his mother was just so important to me. And like I say, his sisters, but mostly his mom. She just was everything to me. It was her faith that I... Uh, went towards and became uh, similar to her. I always told her I was like the story of Ruth, you know, with Naomi. She was, uh-huh. I was, she was my Naomi to me being the Ruth. Um, I wanted to be a lot like her. She's just a wonderful woman.
0: She filled the void. So what was happening with your mom at that point? Was she just totally um, off the grid? and
1: Mostly, um, there was a point when I was living up in Sierra Madre and I was going to take in some foster kids cause I hadn't had any kids yet and wanted to have some kids. I was only 24, but I wanted to, and I went down to the police station to get fingerprinted. And there was this lady laying on the sidewalk and, um, I was in to get fingerprinted and they walked her in and I remembered what she was wearing and I looked and it was my mother. No way. I mean, she 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 had come out to California by that time, fo- kind of following me, but I mean, she really wasn't doing well. And then she sobered up, and she would have a long time of being sober, and then she'd kind of fall back again. But her health really took a direct hit because she was a little tiny person, and she's drinking a lot, and her little body couldn't,
0: couldn't just couldn't it.
1: handle it. But she had three times she had cancer. She had a heart attack. She had a nervous breakdown she became diabetic and her health from the stress I think of losing my dad they were pretty close yeah and the responsibilities um I don't I think she was very dependent on him taking care of her I'm not even sure that she wasn't a little um ADD uh there were just some things I think back now as an adult thinking he always took care of her and she didn't have anybody taking care of her does that kind of sound familiar um, except luckily I didn't drink or do any of that ever. So,
0: yeah. well, that had to be hard for her.
1: It, I think it was desperately hard.
0: I can't imagine seeing the, the homeless woman on the sidewalk and finding out it's your mother.
1: Yeah, that was, that was one of probably one of the most awful moments of my life.
0: Was there a reunion there? Did you, did she expect to see you or? You obviously didn't I expect to see her. I don't think she
1: recognized me. She was that bad. Wow. But she was living in the. She was living in the town, and I think about a week or two weeks later, she came over, and uh, I had her living with me for a while, as long as she wasn't, you know, she wasn't drinking. Yeah. and That lasted for a while, and then it didn't. You know, but we had moments of of wonderful relationships again through the next ten years, but. Also moments that it wasn't because she just couldn't maintain it for yeah. you know more than a few months at a time.
0: And what were your siblings doing through this period?
1: Um, my older brother was kind of a surfer, reefer smoker, um, drove a big cement truck, not much ambition, happy guy. My little sister became a, uh, she was put in a foster home because of the family issues. And, um, when she got 18, she went to, um, Mammoth and became a, she had never skied and she learned to ski and became a ski instructor the next year and was on the ski team. Wonderful athlete. And then in the summer she'd go to Hawaii and, uh, just do wonderful things in the water. She got hired by Kawasaki to be their first demo girl for uh, jet skis. And she went all over Florida and Hawaii, and, and they brought her jet ski all over for her, and she did jet ski ballet. And my little brother, the youngest one, he just, I think he started working in the Apache Nation.
0: Being from New Mexico.
1: Yeah, yeah. and uh he he's became a builder for the and the apache nation teaching them how to how to build homes so we oh. all sure went different ways
0: but it sounds like you all in spite of kind of what happened in the middle of your childhoods made it work
1: yes but everybody found a family interesting it's just interesting but we didn't find each other until we were in our early 20s And my brother was only 18 months older than me and my sister three years younger. So, you know, she was like 21. I'm 24, 25. Before we really became sister and brothers again, you know, that family. And we all stayed really tight with each other um, since then. But we did have that break.
0: It sounds like you had to reconstruct the relationship because there was no past to join you together. No. Because they didn't remember your childhood. and
1: No, they didn't. they didn't. They didn't. And like I say, my sister still says sometimes, why do you tell me all this stuff? <laughs> and she doesn't really want to know because it was hurt for her. Yeah. I was in California, maybe alone, but she was in a foster home that she didn't want to be uh, in. Yeah. Nice people, but it wasn't yeah. her family.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: They were good to her. So that's just kind of, kind of different. And I would say I'm probably today one of the most imbalanced people I know. I'm happy. I have much joy in my life. I've got wonderful kids and family and husband and, and great relationship now with my siblings. But what happens when you're in a different place in a family that how it can affect your life? Um, you know the the needy yeah. middle child. The you know the I was really even though I was second, I was really the oldest because my older brother wasn't a very responsible person. So we kind of switched roles. I became the older; he became the second. <laughs> um, but where we are in a family sometimes makes a huge difference.
0: Well, if you'd been a few years older or a few years younger, your entire experience might have been different.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And then you became an educator. What, at what point did you decide?
1: I didn't become a teacher till I was 50. And I went, I wanted to do some part-time jobs and, and I, I started going back to college and I'd gone to the Grand Canyon and did a hike and I'm I'm so well-read, I thought, I don't really have a problem that I don't have a college education. Uh, But I went to the Grand Canyon, and they were talking about all the layers and the things that happened, and I'm going, I don't know anything about geology. So I went to the community college and took a course in geology, and fell in love with learning and with geology, and just kept taking classes, and pretty soon I went, gee, I might as well get an AA, and When I got my AA, I decided I would just go ahead and get a degree, but I thought about that first teacher from geology and thought, that's what I want to do, so I got my degree in that, and then when I finished, I started working for science companies, and the science companies were doing educational things, and I loved working with teachers and doing seminars and conferences. I was going all over the country doing that, and I finally decided you know what I really want to do is be a teacher so at that point I I got an emergency credential job the only people who were hiring that way and I got a job in uh, Santa Ana teaching science to um, sixth graders and just fell in love with teaching and I thought this is what I should have done all my life but I got to be home and raise my kids and yeah. Not have somebody else raise them. So I don't regret that I started late, but I loved No, it almost sounds like a, a perfect plan. It was. It was so nice. And here's science that I didn't know that much about became the love of my, you know, my career and my learning. And it all came from trip to the Grand Canyon.
0: Yeah, that hike.
1: And interestingly enough, um, when I was separated um um, getting a divorce I was hiking in the Grand Canyon and my husband was on the same trip it was a big um community college sponsored trip to the Grand Canyon and I met him hiking on that trip so that was the beginning of our relationship and it was sort of the beginning of my love of geology and which became my career and my life now and his license plates on the back of his car is says Grand Canyon to infinity
0: <laughs> you know I'm so fascinated by that it's it, you know it's been talked about and looked at by many others but you know those moments in our lives when a minute one way or another or a decision in this case to go on a hike completely changes your entire life
1: oh yeah had yeah.
0: had you been ill that day and postponed that trip you know you you look at all the the things that came of it if that trip had not occurred, those things would not have happened at least maybe not at that moment but it's fascinating
1: no, I mean probably never would have met him hmm. you know that just we we're both so grateful, but we we both think that we were meant to find each other so maybe it would have been some other way but in the grand canyon what a great place to meet somebody oh, yeah.
0: it's a great story
1: yeah it was fun it was just so much fun
0: so if you were to sum up your your life to this point how would you describe it
1: i've had a wonderful life i've i've had so much joy and happiness and so many good things that have happened and I've had lots of horrible things happen. But they don't seem to be outweighed by the joy and, and the goodness that I have. I've had people come along that in my life have been different and, and given me opportunities to be my best. Um, I've loved this life that I've had despite all the stuff. And I guess everybody's got stuff. And I'm grateful. And I'm joyful.
0: In this story about Jana, you could just feel how important family is to her. If we look at society at large, when asked about what's most important, I guess 98% of the responders would say family. I think the family is the smallest, intact unit in society, and we can gauge the health of our society by the health of its families. Families can consist of a number of configurations these days, and we all know what those are. But there are attributes inside a family structure that indicates its health. There must be love, the greatest attribute, but is there also mutual respect? Is that family a safe space for the children? Is there peace? Is there structure and learning? If a family is a place where we prepare the next generation to take over society, how are we doing? Are our children ready? I'm grateful for parents that pushed me, that gave me love and support, but wouldn't tolerate lack of respect inside or outside the family. I'm grateful for the leeway to try new things and the praise for trying and the pride shown when I succeeded. There are times now when I would love to turn to my parents, to ask advice or to share something, but they're no longer here. I hope their legacy lives on in me and that I can be that kind of support to my children. And that's part of my story. Thank you for hanging out with me on Everyday America, where we give random Americans the opportunity to share their stories with you. And remember, if you don't write it down, it didn't happen. So share your stories and write them down for your friends and family and for posterity. And make your story real. If you or someone you know is willing to share their story with us, send a note to Everyday America Podcast at gmail.com. Tell us why and give us a way to reach you. And finally, if you'd like to support us, go to my Patreon page and check out my goals and rewards. That's patreon.com slash everydayamerica. I'd love to have you become part of the show. See you next time.